Welcome to The B-Sides, a podcast for progressives who love pop music. We're your hosts. I'm Hannah. I'm Mimi. And I'm Becky. Tune in for new episodes every other Wednesday to hear our conversations on pop's place in our world. And the music you should put in your ears to fuel your reckoning with the trash fires all around us. Thanks for tuning in. Here we go. Welcome to The B-Sides. Hi. Hello. Mimi, where's Becky? Becky's not here. I believe (laughs) that Becky's in Long Island, but I can't say for sure. Okay, great. So it's just, it's just me and you. It's just us today. And I have just realized that actually this marks, this means that I am the only one of the three of us who has been on every episode, which is not helpful to my main character (laughs) syndrome in that it exacerbates it. So I'll have to take one off soon, but it's just us today. It's just us. Yeah. Becky will miss you. But, um, we were looking at this, uh, at at our outline for today, just before pressing record, realizing this is one of the longest Google docs we've worked for. We've worked from in the history of this podcast. So actually seems like we are, we have plenty of content, just the two of us today. We'll be fine. We'll do what we can. (laughs) Well, welcome to the B-Sides. We're so glad that you're here. Subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. We come out every other Wednesday. Subscribing always makes it easier to keep up. And open up the description of this episode and you'll find a bunch of other ways to join this internet home that we're so glad you are a part of. So today we're going to talk about flops, flippity, floppity, floops. Um, we're going to look at moments that flopped through a more critical lens. Uh, and we'll discuss why albums flop, what happens when a flop is not really a flop and how the cultural void of the early aughts fits into all of this as it always does. And we're going to do that by examining two seminal texts, which, which we won't spoil just yet. We, we won't say if you don't know yet, we'll let you just let them wash over you throughout the course of this episode. Before we do that, we have two really exciting updates. The first is that we have launched a Discord. Mimi, how would you describe Discord? Um, Like, I don't even know. Organized chaos. Yeah. Organized chaos. I don't know. It's, it's fun. It's, um, it's all the things we wanted and then some more that we didn't know we needed. What do you think? I think it's like, it's like Slack but fun and like Facebook groups, but fun. Okay. So you're being less abstract. You're being like, here are the technologies and the platforms just, that you know. Yeah. Yes. I'm it is like, it is like your, your helpful foundation. It, <laughs> my air sign description. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it is a lot like Slack, um, but more fun. You know, something and, I could never have predicted is that someone, Maya, hi, Maya, made a bunch of custom b-sides emojis to use mm-hmm. which is like unbelievable and the best thing i've ever seen in my life so there's all these custom b-sides emojis i don't know if you saw mimi because this is very this is a late breaking emoji the b-sides logo is now an emoji so you can react I saw to that <laughs> it's amazing i saw that yeah it's amazing thank you maya and i miss i used to make slack emojis and i used to love like reacting with them. And, uh, I miss doing that. So this is great. This is a great transition. 
It's good stuff. It's a great place to talk about things that are happening, new music that's dropping. We already like made a playlist together for autumn vibes. That was so pleasant. I walked around my neighborhood listening to it. So it's very good stuff there. Definitely join. And I will say that if you're someone who's never used Discord before, like me, I think, I mean, I'm a little biased, but I think that it's a good first Discord. Like I've since joined a bunch of other Discords and they're all very overwhelming to me, but I think this is a good entry entry discord if you don't even know what we're talking about still yeah because some of them have this is the only one i'm a part of also but i hear that some of them have like thirty thousand people in it or something yeah. and it's like no none of that please but yes come join us yeah one of us one of us come come join us um the other update um i've been excited about a lot of updates for the b-sides in my life this, this is really just something that makes me feel like I have the best life ever because I get to have these really like stupid ideas. And then some amazing artist like puts that idea on a shirt and then people like buy the shirt. So I'm very excited to tell you that sometime today, um, as, of, as we're recording this, the goal is the day that this drops, which is going to be Wednesday, September 29th. Yes, that's it. We are going to um, launch the, you're going to be able to purchase these shirts that we've been teasing online for a while. So I'm really hopeful that's happening. And even if it doesn't happen exactly on time, we're super close to being able to launch them because I just got a big uh, package of them that came to my door a few minutes before we pressed record. Okay, this is what the shirts are. <laughs> I don't even know how to explain them. Do you want to? I will say, like, this is quite a time for Becky to leave us unsupervised, is when we are <laughs> going to describe these shirts. And why is that, Hannah? Okay. The shirts have their pink shirts, blue writing. In the middle is a big, beautiful picture of Gritty. Yes, Gritty, the Philadelphia Flyers, and and socialism mascot and gritty has a heart around one of his two eyes because it's a homage to lover the album and around gritty it says she looks so gritty like a devil and that's it those are the shirts that's 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 it that's it if you are someone who likes weird parts of the internet is generally a fan of Gritty, is generally a fan of misheard Taylor Swift lyrics, kind of wants to believe that St. Vincent is screaming the, you know, the pronoun she in Cruel Summer in the background when she says he looks up grinning like a devil, I think is what actually the words are. But we have decided to make it she looks so gritty like a devil. We're just putting all of our interests into one t-shirt. That's what we heard. That's what we heard. And that's the dream we've realized. And um, nothing we can say can prepare you for what the shirts themselves actually look like. But I think that was a pretty good description as far as audio goes, you know? Okay, great. Right. Yeah. As far as this medium, what, what we can do this on this medium. medium. Right. These shirts, we, um, because we weren't sure like how well they're going to do, we're still not sure how well they're going to do. We'll see. We did not get that many. We worked with an, uh, an amazing screen printing company that will 
link in all of the things about the shirt. And we don't have that many. So if you want one, if hearing this deranged description is exciting to you and not scary, you should purchase one right now because we probably only have a few in your size. So buy a shirt, gritty like a devil. That's that. Let us know if you have any questions. We will not be seeing questions at this time, but we will get to them eventually. You can direct them to our press secretary. Yeah. Who's Becky? <laughs> <laughs> who's a Long Island working on something with communications and probably the press. So great. That's perfect for her. Okay. So that's our discord update. That's our t-shirt update. Anything else before we get started? Nope. Let's get into it. Okay. So let's get into the flop, specifically the musical flop. There's flops in all across pop culture, sports, movies, whatever you want. Obviously, this is a music podcast. We're going to talk about um, albums. We were talking about how there's a lot of flops we could have talked about today. So let us know if you want a flop part two, because, yeah, we'll talk about how we might want to do that anyway. So I think that first we should break down the arc of a flop. Like we should define our terms. So Mimi, I am going to put you on the spot. How, how do you think you would define a flop? Of course you are. Um, well, okay. I think that a flop means that an artist has been extremely commercially successful um, and is experiencing a fall from grace perceived or actual. It doesn't have to be that serious. It's not that serious. I basically think that it is a shape-shifting term and there are a lot of reasons that people say something is a flop, whether it is or it isn't. Um, but that is generally what it means. It means that you've been incredibly successful, ubiquitous, whatever, um, in recent history. And now you are doing something that by comparison is a failure. What yeah, do you think? I totally agree. Like, I do think a new artist in some way, I guess, could come out with an album that doesn't do well. And like, maybe it's a flop, but really I think the, you know, the, the, the onomatopoeia of it all, the like real the emotional component of a flop implies that you're falling from like a high height. Yeah. Yes. But like sillier because the word flop is a silly word. The so like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And um, so something amazing that happened is that um, a B-Sides friend named Audrey, Audrey Davis, um, wrote a piece about flops that was actually inspired by a conversation in the B-Sides Facebook group. So shout out to our Facebook group also, which was amazing and so exciting to see like one of those threads turn into a piece of published writing. So congrats, Audrey. And um, the piece is called, we'll link it below. It's called Lord Billie Eilish and the Flop Era Myth. And a quote from that piece that I want to highlight, she says, in box office terms, flops and hits are, pretty, are usually pretty easy to differentiate. So when, when it comes to movies, simply take the number of millions of dollars required to make a given movie, subtract it from the millions of dollars generated in ticket sales. Generally, if you've made a movie that people want to see, this calculation will show that you've turned a profit. 
But in the music industry, things aren't so cut and dry. As the streaming era drastically changes the way we engage with new music, buying a physical album in a store is no longer the surest way to support our favorite artists. Social media has even made it so stars can directly tell their fans how to show that support. Of course, like when Taylor Swift released her new Wildest Dreams recording in an attempt to usurp the old version on TikTok. She continues, mainstream artists today are almost guaranteed to gain huge streaming numbers as way, even if the songs they choose as singles don't take off on the radio, which means it's become incredibly difficult to determine what's a hit and what's not because everything looks like one from the outside in. So she's talking about all of these ways that these days it's really hard to decide what is and isn't a flop, but at the same time, something that's happening that we're seeing with Lord, with Billie Eilish, with all of these different pieces is a pressure like almost a self-fulfilling prophecy of a pressure for an entire era, which, you know, is now we, we now no longer call things just like albums or album rollouts, like their eras to be flops. And I think that we really saw that. I think we're seeing that with, with both Billie Eilish and Lord, who are not the main focuses of today's conversation. Um, but so, you know, she, in this piece, she also talks about um, Billie Eilish's album um, and how, you know, it's, it's good. Or, you know, Audrey has her own take on it. And here's a little bit that I want to kind of share. Cause I think it speaks to why flops are so hurtful, I think for fans. So Audrey says of Billie Eilish's new album, it's a long unwieldy odyssey of an album full of new sounds, big ideas and lofty aspirations that are never fully realized. Is it bad? No, far from it. But like Solar Power, Lord's new album, it has warped fans' ideas of who their favorite artist actually is, washing away their reliable hit maker and replacing her with a world-weary genre-hopping philosopher. I do think that fans want their artists to be a certain way. And when they're not, that's certainly happening with both Lord and Billie Eilish. It can be very painful. Yeah, I mean... I, I wonder if people just get stressed about the passage of time sometimes. Sometimes they like evolutions and other times they get stressed about it. There are a lot of, I mean, there's so many reasons for flaps. Yeah. Let's continue. Totally. I think that the other piece I want to highlight before we go into our specifics is just the sexist nature of a lot of these conversations. I think that women, especially women artists, are just always set up for failure um, especially when they are successful. Um, I also think this has, this is like very typical of a lot of people with any sort of marginalized identity. I think that Lil Nas X is another example of someone who I think was expected to fail and actually so far has been transcending that, which I'm very happy, very, very happy for him. Um, I'm definitely like, we're seeing this with Billie Eilish. Like people were talking about how this was going to be her, the sophomore slump before she ever even had a, a whiff of this album. Um, and I think we're going to see it with Olivia Rodrigo. I think that um, with her, whenever it's time for the second album, I think that the songwriting credit um, controversy, which we have not really covered on this show. And if someone would like us to slide into our DMs and we can, I think, I think overall um, it makes me respect Olivia to see her, you know, crediting her influences, but I think in general, it's going to help a lot of people who are going to be naysayers about her, who are going to want to see her fall, say, well, she's not even that good. Her first songs were like, she even gave away credit to all these other artists she's clearly influenced by. So whatever, I think I'm just, I'm a little nervous that's going to happen to us. Um, I think that people assume that women can't remain successful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's part of the it girl phenomenon. 
Mm-hmm. Not that the people we're talking about today were it girls in that moment. They were older. Yeah. But they were incredibly successful. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that, and that trend still continues through that. And there's something like if you're, if you can't maintain the unbelievable and often unrepeatable level of fame, like then you're a huge failure. It's like, we all need to kind of calibrate a little bit. Right. Like the point of like clutching eight Oscar or uh, eight Grammys and um, like the ridiculousness of that part of it is that it's completely unsustainable. You can't, it's only you can't do it more than once. Very few people do, but you can't just do that consistently. That's why it's like, and that's okay. allegedly prestigious. Yeah. <laughs> right. Allegedly prestigious. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think that's very much what happened with this first example. So let's get into our first flop of the episode. Art pop. Art pop. Art pop fans. Uh, can't wait to hear from you from this episode. I'm a little worried you might hate some of the things I'm going to say. I am a little scared of you. Let's do this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so Art Pop was Lady Gaga's third album released in 2013. So I was coming to this um, actually from quite a you know level 101. Um, I basically did not register this album despite caring quite a lot about Lady Gaga. I, I thought I did, but clearly I, I didn't, um, you know, especially between 2010 or 2009, I guess, to 2012. Um, I registered it a little bit, but it didn't land with the singles didn't land with me. And I just never really interacted with it. Um, Mimi, I'm curious, like, what did you think about this album when it came out? I think we're actually on the exact same page on this, which doesn't always happen, but I think I was really like the fame, fame monster born this way. I was there for all of it. I was a big fan. And um, then I remember being excited for this. I remember some of the press and Lady Gaga, like gassing up her fans beforehand, um, which I think we'll talk about a little bit, but I also like hardly registered it. Obviously applause was everywhere, but I was like, all right, this is fine. And I just... I, uh, I didn't, I didn't deal too much with it, which doesn't make it a flap on its own. But I think that the fact that it really just kind of like was a blip on both of our radars, just despite, um, all the content we'd consumed previously is meaningful. So I'm very aware that we do not have a good representation right now of an art pop stand in this conversation. And, I am sorry for that, but we will bring in some little monster in our community's um, thoughts about this, I promise. And I hope that we will still do this conversation with as much respect as this album definitely deserves. So I've been doing some research about art pop and like whether or not it was a flop. That was actually the inspiration for this episode was we've been having really interesting internet wide conversations about actually revisiting this, this album that people understood to be a flop and why, why it even got that reputation. So a concept that we talk about a lot on this show that I find very useful. That's why we talk about it all the time is the concept of like ubiquity or just the word, the <laughs> ubiquity. Um, and I find it to be helpful when you're describing songs or albums or artists, because sometimes the numbers or the charts don't accurately capture the cultural impact that something is making. And I find like ubiquity is sometimes even more of a helpful 
descriptor than other other analogous descriptors like success or or famous or things like that. I find ubiquitous to be more useful in moments like this. So my headline for art pop is very simple. It's not the flop that people say it was. It's not. But it certainly wasn't ubiquitous. It didn't perform the way that a follow-up to Born This Way could have or should have. That's my like thesis for art pop. So I think we should break it down. And I would just add to that that it I don't think it performed the way that Lady Gaga promised it Correct. would or thought it would. And that disconnect is uh, also a big part of it. Yes. Because then it also feels like people who are naysayers then get to be kind of a part of taking someone down, which I think feels good on the internet. And like for, you know, all the assholes of 2013, like watching Lady Gaga kind of flail, I think probably felt, I don't know, good. Right. There's a, there's a difference between being like, I'm doing something different and more experimental. And I don't, I'm not looking for commercial success in the same way here. And going into it, not being surprised and then being like, I don't know that she was like this, but being like, oops, like this, I promised that this would be something that it didn't end up being, you know? Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that we got some really helpful pieces of context from our Facebook group. So I think we should read a few. Um, So let's start with Sarah. Sarah says... Okay, so as a little monster, I'm biased. That's great, Sarah. We're happy for your bias here. But I don't think art pop was a flop or a fail. The mistake of the album was collaborating with a sexual predator, R. Kelly, we'll talk about that later, which Gaga has since apologized and attempted to atone for by supporting sexual assault survivors and having the version of Do What You Want featuring said sexual predator removed from streaming services. Also, if you like Do What You Want, the version of Gaga and Christina Aguilera is amazing. That's true. So that mistake aside, as an artist, Gaga channels her emotions and lived experiences through her art. Personally, I see art pop as an attempt by a major pop star to process trauma and the aftermath of fame, specifically for Gaga, the fame. Gaga has spoken at length about the painful place she was in at this time, both mentally and physically. Pain and trauma aside, I do feel art pop contains some gems, but that's just me. TLDR, Lady Gaga is always reflecting and changing as a person and an artist, which is part of what I love about her. And that's what makes art pop special. I love that, Sarah. That was great. All right. And then Brett said, I don't think it flopped. Commercially, it did fine, but nothing compared to her previous albums. And I think it wasn't mainstream at the time. In fact, ahead of its time and not for everyone. It's a wild ride of an album, but that's what makes it great. It is underappreciated for the entire journey. And I think if critically rated today would be considered one of the best albums out there. Hmm. Wow. We'll take Brit. Really makes you think. I love that. Um, and Aaron said, I also agreeing. Aaron said, I don't think it flopped. I think promises were made similar to what you were saying, Mimi. I think promises were made that never materialized songs like tea and onion girl art pop act two Gaga was also injured around this time and her drug problem was really bad. I think she was also singing about topics that alienated some people, for example, sexual assault on swine and do what you want, which others have mentioned it's problematic for its own reasons. Oh, and the failed app rollout and Brooklyn nights, which was another song that never happened. 
So this is speaking to like, there was a lot of buildup to art pop. I didn't even remember all of this. There was so much buildup. And that is part of what's, yeah, what makes it, it's a little superstitious, right? Like she, but also you, you want to do that. You want to kind of promote something really excitedly if you are an artist and you're excited about what you're making, but when it doesn't materialize, it can feel like a much stronger, you know, more serious descent downwards than it really was. I also think that some of these, like some of these tangential moments, for example, the ones that Aaron mentioned, like Brooklyn Nights, like the failed app rollout, like Art Pop Act Two, that was, you know, she hinted she was ready for an entire second, you know, basically B side of Art Pop. I think that kind of adds to the cult classic nature of this album and why Art Pop fans are so specific. And they're like, it's a core group of people who are like really obsessed with Art Pop. And I think it's because they had all these little other kind of Easter eggs that they could kind of grab onto. And that felt really exciting and felt special. And like, you can find, if someone else, if you know someone else who like knows Brooklyn Nights, that which is like an unreleased song by Lady Gaga, like you found your people and it feels really fun. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she said it was going to be the album of the millennium. And I think it's nice that pe- there are people who are like, it was, it is, you know? Totally. Yeah. Um, so let's go over some of the numbers. So there was an article in um, Showbiz Cheat Sheet that I changed the numbers a little bit because I Googled them further and found like the final numbers. So I'm quoting almost exactly, but not perfectly. Um, that will tell us a little bit to contextualize like where, if this actually was a flop. So I think a really straightforward way of knowing whether or not something was a, was a flop or a failure was to look at the numbers. And I think what we're going to find out here is that that's not how you tell the whole story of a flop for a major artist like Lady Gaga. So from this article, it says it's a pretty bogus reason to call art pop a failure because of low numbers, because of low sales. And here's why. In its first week, art pop sold 258,000 copies. Miley Cyrus's bangers and Katy Perry's prism came out just weeks before Gaga's all three of the albums debuted at number one on the billboard charts. Bangers sold 270,000 in its debut week and prism sold 286,000. And yet those albums were better received than art pop, which sold around the same and came out around the same time. But because it didn't sell the 1.1 million copies like born this way historically did, it was considered a failure. So I think that's part of the problem here is that born this way set this way too high of an expectation. The numbers especially came from this thing where Amazon had this like two day sale where everything was like not like the entire album was 99 cents and it sold so many more copies. And, but even beyond that, it did have this huge cultural impact. So yeah, it did not sell 1.1 million copies, but that doesn't make it a failure. So I totally agree with that. I really think that's like a really important thing for us to bring into this, but here's where I might disagree with some little monsters. And like, I'm very, very sorry. I hope it's okay. Um, I just think that like, I think to look at these numbers, it's a really helpful gut check on our obsession with failures to take a look at these numbers and to realize they're not nearly as bad as the story about this album would have made it seem. But to go back to what we were saying earlier, the ubiquity element that we were talking about just wasn't there. Like, yeah, it did similarly well as bangers in terms of sales, but like, I think it's pretty clear that between We Can't Stop and Wrecking Ball, Miley had 
like a cultural moment, an impact way more than Lady Gaga did at this time. Whether or not that's for the best, it's a different conversation. But I think it's pretty clear that it, yeah, I understand that like, even if the numbers are equal, the experience isn't equal. I don't know, maybe if you agree with that. Yeah, I definitely do. Um, It just, yeah, it just didn't have the same level of, I mean, notoriety in a way, which is supposed to be a negative, but you know. Um, and yeah, I mean, I a hundred percent agree. I think it was a lot, there were a lot of promises made. There were a lot of things that Lady Gaga did years previously that were everywhere that did have a massive cultural impact. And so the comparison and then comparing it with other artists at the time and what they're doing, even if this, the number of streams, the number of purchases is, is about the same, um, there was a, there was a huge gap there. So mm-hmm. that's, we don't need to, we don't need to call it a flop, but we do need to call it, if we're going to call it a success, a different, a different kind than the most typical, uh, ubiquitous barometer kind of thing. Totally. And I think something that, um, I think we should start talking about the music itself and the songs in it and the album. And here's Please. where I feel like kind of surprised. I'm surprising myself. So like the B-Sides as a project, as an entity is founded on the principle that like some of the best stuff in pop music history is underrated, underappreciated. It's a B-side. It's like not looked at, like it's not top of the charts. So I feel very basic saying this, but like, yeah, I don't like this album as much as her other albums. I just, it's not my taste. <laughs> Yeah. Can I say a couple things? Yes, please. Okay. Um, I read somewhere, I'm really sorry, I can't remember where, um, somewhere on the internet that a review that this album was produced within an inch of its life, <laughs> which I have to agree. Again, not bashing anyone's taste. Like if this is your favorite album of hers or in general, I'm happy for you. It doesn't mean that I think you have bad taste or something like that. And also who cares what I think, but also you're listening to this podcast, but also um, the other, the way I would describe this album is like, cause I hadn't listened to it in a really long time. And then I just listened to it yesterday. Uh, and I mean, I would describe it as like a jar of jelly beans. It's like, <laughs> it's like some Songs are pretty good. I was surprised when I was, I was like, oh, I like these more than I remembered in 2013. And then other songs, I'm just like, I can't listen to this. Like I did listen to it all the way, all the way through, but I was like, it's, it's a major skip album for me. And I don't under, I don't really understand the story. It's potentially trying to tell if it is one, it could just be over my head. But, um, yes. Yeah, totally. I really, I really hear that. Like, and I love the jelly beans. That makes a lot of sense to me. (laughs) It's just like, it's some people's taste. You think it's going to be good. You're like, oh, it's a great album or it's a great song title. Let me see what this song is about. Yeah. yeah. Nope. Also there's like dubstep, right? Right. When the beginning of it was 2013. It's not her fault. Yeah. 
Um, I do think that like, I, I do want to be able to separate the conversation some way between like, I, I actually think that a lot of people might wrongly believe that something is commercially successful or unsuccessful just because things are good or bad. And if we know anything around here, we know that it's never that simple. So I don't mean to say like, yeah, this album isn't a slam dunk. So of course it flopped, but like, yeah, there's something to that. I do think that if some of these songs, I don't know if overall as a project, it was more listenable to people who aren't already fans. I think it would have been in a different situation. Mm -hmm. So I think that the pain in this album that a few people mentioned is very clear. You really hear it. Um, like I was really thinking about how clear it was as I was listening through it again in anticipation of this recording. And, and then as I did more reading, I was learning that like, yeah, unsurprisingly Lady Gaga, like Stephanie was not doing well at this time. She was recovering from a painful surgery. She was struggling with a substance use disorder and she was working with a producer, DJ White Shadow, who I, when I was writing this, I kept writing him DJ White Snake and DJ White uh, claw, which is really funny. Is it white claw? That's your name now. That's your DJ name now. Oh my God. Um, so this DJ that she worked with, he was saying he was a, he had a hard time too. He was kind of like painting a picture of how tough this all was. And this is a quote from him. He said, so many scumbags trying to latch onto the train. I had worked so hard to get out of the station. So much transition and tor- and turmoil. Let me tell you, that I have never been so broken as a human being the day when that record was turned in. I was nearly dead. So like, it's actually, it's nuts to me that you said a few minutes ago, Mimi, that this was produced within an inch of its life. And the producer is saying I was within an inch of my life. Literally, yeah. Literally. Within an inch of everyone's lives who worked on it, potentially. Yeah, Yeah, I don't mean to make light of that, but I, it's there's something to it. There's something real about it, yeah. What many people say about art pop, like what people in the Discord and the Facebook group online were saying, people say this was, quote unquote, ahead of its time, which is a really interesting and quite loaded concept, I think. Um, but that's really like this, the central thesis about art pop in pop culture right now. And even if I don't totally agree, like I'm not going to take that away from anyone. Um, I think that something fascinating about this album that makes it so polarizing is that it's a concept album. It really is. And that's why I think it has so many ardent supporters because it's true. Like if you listen closely, if you do a really close reading of the texts of the influences, there's so much that unfolds from it. And here's a, here's a quote from Lady Gaga explaining some of this. She says, I have to gaze into the work for long periods of time for it to be good. And then she added, like, as she's analyzing her ideas, she received that wonderful feeling, which told her that's the one. I like, uh, like, I love this quote, but there's a moment where I'm like, Gaga, if you have to gaze into your work for long periods of time for it to be good, you sh- then it's not a, that's like not a, I wasn't going to say, I was going to say it's not a pop album. I don't mean it like that, but you know, like I, I do wonder if she couldn't have benefited from a few moments of like less introspection of just like, okay, I'm going to listen to this song with no thinking. I'm going to be listening to it with distractions. I'm going to be listening to it with like, you know, only one ear in, you know, and, and is it, is it still good on the first listen? Do I still like it at all? And if the answer is no, then maybe you don't put that on your highly anticipated album of the millennium. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Couldn't say Perception it better. is good, but it can be overwhelming. It can be really detrimental in a lot of ways. And my experience with this is more with writing than it is like 
composing music, although it's a part of it, but it's like, you got to be in a, you got to get into a flow state, which you can't always manufacture. And if you can't get there, maybe she was there and her flow state is just like a different Mm -hmm. thing, but it does seem like she was maybe, she couldn't see the forest for the trees from our, from our vantage point as people who this album doesn't really speak to but different for a different subset of people. I found myself spending a lot of time on Genius to look through the lyrics of the songs. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, there's, there is so much, like there's a lot going, like there's a lot going on in these songs. Um, and as a Taylor Swift fan, I'm thinking about the times when like, it's really fun to listen to something a thousand times. And then you realize like, oh my God, there's a double meaning or she's referencing something else. But the thing about those songs is that you should be able to still like enjoy them to a certain extent what, at, on your first listen, which I'm sure a lot of people do, but I, I didn't for some of them because also the piece about this album is that it's very, very high energy, like the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there are a few exceptions, but that was a little, it, it was like exhausting to listen to, but I think that was purposeful. I think she was trying to have the listener, like feel what her exhaustion and, and it worked for me. Yeah. <laughs> like too much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm being more negative. There are many songs I liked. There are songs I liked, but yeah, I understand why this album wasn't like just everybody rushing towards, you know, making it happen. She also said that um, this was an album for her little monsters. And I really think that's what it is. Like it is a song. It's a gift to them. Like, and there's some songs that are really dedicated for them. And it means that she was thinking to herself, like, And I think this is a really valid thing for an artist to do is say, I've already gotten this huge platform. People have found me. Now I'm speaking to them. Now they are mine. And like, I don't, and I've heard, we've talked about this on this show before. Like there was a really interesting interview I once heard with John Bellion, who's like had, you might think of him as a one hit wonder, but what he actually was saying was I wanted to get like big enough that I, people could I reached people, they found me, they got to know me. And now I can niche back down. Like I found the people who needed to find me. I don't need to be up here anymore. And I feel like there's a part of that, that Lady Gaga was actually trying to do with this project. And, and I think she succeeded in that for sure. I think her little monsters like love this album. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great statement too. That's a great connection. I always think about that interview with him. Um, I think let's go over just a few songs. And we have to talk about applause. So it's the last song on the album, but of course, the one we have to start with if we're going to name any of these songs, um, because it was the, uh, the big single. Um, and I love that it's at the end because she's essentially, she's like taking her curtain call and she's like, it's very, it's the end. It's, it's asking for the applause and then it's problematizing the applause and, and like, it's just thinking about the applause. And I, I do like this song. I don't like it as much as some of her other songs that I love, but um, it's like, yeah, it's it's oh so complex. Um, I wasn't sure which lyrics to to like highlight to show that, but I think I'll just do one of the earlier ones where she goes, I've overheard your theory, nostalgia's for geeks. I guess, sir, if you say so, some of us just like to read. One second I'm a Coons fan, suddenly the Coons is me. Pop culture was in art, now art's in pop culture in me. So Jeff Coons, the artist did the album cover for this, for our pop. So she's saying one second, I'm a Coons fan. And suddenly the Coons, the, the piece of art, the, the work of Jeff Coons is me and how like amazing and, you know, kind of 
uh, wild must that be? And I learned that a popular interpretation of this line is, and you kind of, you can hear it when she's singing. It sounds like she's saying, I, one second, I'm a Kuntz fan. Suddenly the Kuntz is me. And I learned through this, that Kuntz is the German word for art. So she's saying once at once, I'm like a fan of art. And now suddenly like I am the art I am like being consumed as art. It's very interesting. There's a lot going on Mm -hmm. and just like talking about people clapping. Um, You know, this song is like, yeah, it's a pop song. It is made to be relatively easy to listen to. um, But there's a part of it. It's not like so avant-garde, but there's something distinctly off about it. I think purposefully like us that makes it, it, it sounds just to the left of a pop song that would like sound similar and be a really huge hit. Um, Like you want it to be a banger because the chorus kind of suggests that it is, but the cadence of the, the way she says her words is a little weird. Like if you know the song and you just heard me read those lyrics, you probably thought I sounded weird because the way that she says it, you know, I read, I've overheard your theory, nostalgia's for geeks. But that's not how she says it. She goes like, nostalgia's for geeks. Like, right? It's it's all, it's a little bit pop culture was yeah. in art. Now art's in pop culture in me. Like, I'm so good at singing. I could, <laughs> you are. I could never, I I am a lyrics person, which is like a really annoying thing to say, but it's like, I really pay attention to lyrics. And with this album and with this song, I could never get there. I could never hear it in the way that I think it was supposed to be meant. Like seeing it on a page, I'm like, oh, but in the song, I can't get there. And if you can't get there when you're listening to the song and you can't process it, then that is a problem, I think. Yeah. It just, it just makes, I just can't tell what she wants the goal to be. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure she just wants us to listen to it and think about it. And I don't know. Um, but it just, you know, kind of like the subject matter, I think there are parts where it's truly uncomfortable. Again, I think purposefully. But so all of those things, the fact that like the cadence of the of the wording is a little off and the subject matter is a little uncomfortable, it makes it harder to like scream sing in the car or in the shower or like with your friends, which I remember doing with Born This Way and I remember doing with Bad Romance, like the communal aspect of it. Like I remember that and this is just, it doesn't do that as much, which is, it's not a bad thing. It's not a criticism. I'm just trying to make sense of its inability to really succeed at the levels that I think people expected it to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Five minutes before we met up here tonight, I um, watched the 2013 VMA performance of Applause, which I actually think now that I've watched it adds to the art flop of it all because it is really, she sings really off key and just like the most objective thing is like, if you are a pop star and you're singing off key, you're flopping at the VMAs. Um, And she also does these like costume changes that harken back to bad romance born this way previous eras in a way that's kind of strange for someone who has only been around for like five years, you know, she's like, she's already kind of like celebrating her own legacy and she's also singing really off key. And that I think is the main problem with that. Um, But anyway, 
I had not rewatched that performance. So thank you for bringing that into the conversation. Sure. I did it. So you don't have to. Yeah. Great. Um, I did. I, when I rewatched the video, I, I actually think the video is like quite amazing and, um, mm-hmm. clearly like very well. I mean, it, yeah, once again, it's a concept. There's a lot of like vignettes. There's a lot of really purposeful choices. Um, and it's quite entertaining. So definitely. Yeah. I liked that video, like the song. Yeah. 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 The music video itself is, is interest like I can see snapshots of it, but once I stop watching it, I can never remember kind of like, yeah, again, maybe that's just my brain and it just doesn't, I am sure that other people are like, I know all of the frames of this video and it's perfect. And here's why another thing um, about it. That's like ahead of its time, but not cause I'm kidding is that it kind of feels like a COVID music video because it's like a lot of just her like in a room with like different things and different makeup and different costumes and yeah. different kind of like characters. And it's like the kind of music videos that artists for the last, you know, 18 months have been making where it's like just them and a green screen. <laughs> right. You have to ask, like, if she knew in 2013 that we were hurtling towards a pandemic in 2020, would she have done anything differently? And I think it's fine if the answer is no. I think she would have, have released Chromatica earlier. Yeah. So. yeah, I think she would have. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I mean, we were at the club. We all collectively were at the club in 2013 in a way that we absolutely were not. Oh, let's talk about Chromatica at a different episode. Chromatica okay. is a great album. Just for all the little monsters who are mad at me still, I love Lady, Lady Gaga. I love yeah. Chromatica. That's a, that's a masterpiece. That's how you do it. And it like, that's, I feel like she's actually trying to accomplish a lot of the same goals. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. Let's quickly talk about Do What You Want and then go to our second flop. So Do What You Want is the song with R. Kelly. It was removed from her album in 2019 after the documentary Surviving R. Kelly came out. And then it was re-recorded in 2021 without him. It is like a, I remembered it being a grosser song than I think it actually is because of R. Kelly. Um, and the cover, like the the single cover and the music video was shot by that scum get, scumbag Terry Richardson. Do you know that guy? I forgot about him. Very, very, very 2013, 2014, yeah. uh-huh. horrible pictures of people. Disgusting. Yeah. If you don't know who we're talking about, like maybe Google it, but also maybe don't. You don't have to. Um, something amazing is that today, as we record, September 27th, 2021, R. Kelly was convicted. <gasps> today. Today. He was found guilty of racketeering charges. This is after years of recruiting and trapping, exploiting, assaulting women, boys and girls into essentially sex slavery, like horrible, the worst pieces of, of fame and fucking chutzpah, in my opinion. And he was charged today. So this is a very relevant um, tie in to this conversation, which is this song called do what you want with my body. That includes like a person who has no problem exploiting people's bodies on a regular basis. Bad looks. Right. And underage people specifically, specifically, overwhelmingly, consistently, horrifyingly. Since the nineties, at least Aaliyah. So I was thinking about how like, oh, this song is so problematic. And then I went to re-listen to it and look at the words. And I, I, I realized, I remembered or relearned 
that what's sad about this is that the song actually came from a place for her, for Lady Gaga. It was supposed to be like a middle finger to body shamers in the media, which I kind of forgot because I, I, I put like a sexualized lens on that whole, on the whole song. Um, but the first, the opening chorus, um, these are the lyrics. I, I feel good. I walk alone, but then I trip over myself and I fall. I, I stand up and then I'm okay. But then you print some shit that makes me want to scream. So do what you want, what you want my body, do what you want. Don't stop. Let's party. And it's, I don't know. It's about like making sense of when people are trying to like talk about your body and reduce you to a body. And when you are a public figure and you are a person with a body, it's hard for anybody to be a person with a body. It's very, especially hard to be a celebrity with a body. So that's where this is supposed to come from. And then R. Kelly's verse, it has like none of that insight. I don't even need to read it. It's just like, I almost wonder if she wanted to almost like bury that heartbroken and slightly political message with this feature, kind of bury it and make it sexualized instead. It's just really disappointing and surprising, especially given everything that we know. So that, that I think also kind of clouds a lot of the legacy of this album, but it's good that she took it off and said like, no, I don't need to have this. Totally. After years of defending it, actually, I should say. So not great. Yeah, that's real. So with art pop, I think time will tell this was an album for little monsters. It really has remained an album for little monsters. Um, in 2021, the Little Monsters got the album trending on iTunes with a petition to release Art Pop Act 2 because it apparently exists, but it's unreleased. And Lady Gaga responded with something that's like very emotional, I think. She said, I fell apart after I released this album. Thank you for celebrating something that once felt like destruction. We always believed it was ahead of its time. Years later, it turns out sometimes artists know. And so do Little Monsters. Pause up. And then she actually said also of the petition specifically, she said the petition to hashtag buy art pop on iTunes for volume two has inspired such a tremendous warmth in my heart. Making this album was like heart surgery. I was desperate in pain and poured my heart into electronic music that slammed harder than any drug I could find. So like, yeah, it's very loaded. Um, DJ White Shadow, who worked on this, said in 2021 that like he talked to Lady Gaga and they want to like get together and discuss this. He actually said, we made a plan to get together after Italy and discuss your wishes. And that's referencing her um, movie, her Adam Driver sweater movie. Oh, they're definitely done filming. So if it's if something's going to happen, it's going to happen soon. Um, He says. No promises made, but kindness and love are strong as steel. Now is not the time to let up. Go harder. Forget the past. Think about the future. Apply positive pressure to the universe and let's make a diamond. I'm so in love with you all. <laughs> so it's a very emotional, emotional journey, Art Pop. That's, That's beautiful. We today. I learned a lot. Thank you yeah. for walking us through this. I hope everyone isn't. I hope all the little monsters aren't mad at us. I hope they understand. We love you. Pause up. Find about it in our new Discord. (laughs) Yay. All right. Let's get into our next flop. Um, First, let's take a very, very quick break. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm Karina Belizzi, host of Care More, Be Better, a social impact and sustainability podcast. 
For the last 20 years, I've worked for companies that believe what I believe, that together we can do more good. I decided to launch this show to double down on that effort and tell the stories of inspired people who are working hard to build a better future. Each week, we invite you to care more about a particular issue. We provide tools, tips, and resources so you can play a role in solving real social and environmental problems. In our first few episodes, you'll hear about the struggles of refugees in Greece and the amazing not-for-profit that helps them re-enter society. You'll hear about a high school principal that took a second job at Walmart to pay forward his salary to students in need. And you'll hear from a young man who rolls a tractor tire all around his neighborhood to bring awareness to the struggles of those with cancer. These are just a few of the stories we tell as we invite you on a journey to care more so we can all be better. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, our website, caremorebebetter.com, on social channels at caremorebebetter. Join us because together we can do so much more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back with another flop. Like Hannah mentioned at the top, I think that we could do, we could talk about a lot of different flops. They say different things, but the ones that we're talking about today are just near and dear to our hearts in that they're not necessarily our favorite albums, but we needed to talk about them. So the other album we're going to talk about is... Glitter by Mariah Carey. Uh, this is this is another deemed flop that has since been resurrected in a way. This is like the flop in many ways. Same right? More. Like I just feel like it's like people understand this to be just a huge deal flop. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like even at the time I understood, and I was like nine years old and I understood that this was a flop yeah I think so I think so and we're going to talk about all the reasons why it is and it isn't um I think something we've been talking about this whole episode is that flop eras are inherently tied to artists trajectories more than anything else any specific numbers um that the album itself does Um, or the actual like quality of the music in a lot of cases, which means they can look very different in hindsight. Once the flop storm, as I called it has passed, they can feel very obvious and inevitable at the time. I think something being a flop, but sometimes that just indicates what we were up for, what the culture was and wasn't ready for or capable of more so than a valid or timeless judgment on a body of work. Lady Gaga said that and her little monster said that about art pop being ahead of its time. And I think we can argue something along those lines here. Um, So 
We're talking about Mariah Carey's 2001 movie soundtrack and eighth studio album, Glitter. This, the story of this flap is a story of racism, sexism, 9-11ism, and a nostalgic and evocative yet forward-thinking and innovative pop album finally getting its due, in my opinion. Again, it's not my favorite album, but I do feel called to defend it. And I do also remember uh, being 10 years old and not having this kind of analysis yet, but being like, this has been deemed a failure and I don't fully get it, but I'm 10 and I don't really care. Anyway. (laughs) Okay. So let's, let's get a little context here. Um, and then Hannah, I'm going to ask you for your, I'm going to put you on the spot at some point. I'm going to put myself on the spot by deciding where to put you on the spot. Okay. So Mariah is the best-selling female artist of the millennium. And if she ever had a flop album, like Hannah said, like, this is it, this is the era. I think in general, and actually similarly with art pop, because it really is a concept album, we shouldn't compare a concept soundtrack album to other studio albums as if they're going to perform the same, but whatever that happens anyway, glitter, the lead single lover boy was like all over TRL. So in some ways it was like a really big kind of commercial album. It dropped in the middle of her career. It was preceded by several incredible albums like emotions, music box, daydream, uh, butterfly, And it was followed by other obvious successes like The Emancipation of Mimi, E equals MC squared. Um, And then there were some later albums like in the last 10 years or so that didn't really chart or get certified and did actually a lot worse numbers than Glitter, which is still a platinum album. But we don't really call them flops or flop eras. And I do think part of that is the, the titles, like titles like Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel. or me, I am Mariah, the elusive Chanteuse, like is so is those are wordsmithed within an inch of their lives. I think, I think we can say that. Um, but they're not, they're not successful albums, but they're not flops because she wasn't at like a, uh, an artistic peak and she wasn't of the same age and everything. Okay. So there are, a lot of reasons I think why glitter was more commercially successful than some of her later albums. And then still widely considered a flop. Um, I think many of us appreciate glitter now, but apparently couldn't do it justice 20 years ago. And I think a lot of the qualities about it that made it a flop in 2001 are the reasons why it's having a redemption moment. Now, Hannah, do you have any thoughts before we, any initial glitter thoughts to share I before working on this episode I knew like almost nothing about glitter I didn't know any song even I didn't even know lover boy like I didn't it just this whole thing just never um flew on my radar and it's one of my first this is just like an interesting thing about about how pop culture reaches kids is it's one of my first memories of Mariah Carey was that she put out this horrible movie and horrible soundtrack so mm. I actually had to learn later that she was actually in quite in fact quite successful because at the time of me learning about her, yeah, I was nine. All I knew was that she put out this thing that people didn't like and that it was a joke and people were like watching it as like a joke. 
So I had to like unlearn that and realize like, oh, she's like this incredibly talented, very beloved like figure in our culture. Mm -hmm. I think I felt that way too. Like there are some things that we talk about that I was aware of as a child and shouldn't have been, but this is not one of them. Like this isn't, I wasn't aware that she was like this esteemed, incredibly talented singer before and after and during. I thought, I thought the same thing. I thought we were just like, she appeared and we were making fun of her. Yeah. Okay. So I want to start by describing this album. Uh, and this album is something that one critic in 2001 called the pop equivalent of Chernobyl, the pop equivalent of Chernobyl at the risk of also using history poorly to describe glitter. I think it was exquisitely both 20 years behind and 20 years ahead of its time. And I mean that in the best way. And I know that saying something is ahead of its time is like ambitious, but I glitter has this like incredible glitzy eighties sound running all the way, not all the way through it, but in most songs, including covers of classics, like didn't mean to turn you on. And last night, a DJ saved my life. And then it also features some of the leading rappers of 2001, Buster Rhymes, Ja Rule, Nate Dogg, Mystical, paying homage to some of their hits from that year or the previous year, like Shake Your Ass by <laughs> Mystical um, in the song Don't Stop Funkin' for Jamaica. Anyone? Anyone? Anyone know this song from Glitter? Uh, this album was actually criticized for having so many pop songs with featured rap artists with these collaborations like half the songs but in that way i think mariah was actually really ahead of her time and as we have talked about previously she was like very involved in production of all of her albums so you know this was her decision in some she wasn't like sitting back while other people did all of this um, there are like a dozen features on this album which is a formula we see very often now and it's embraced Lover Boy Aside, which is like the lead single and ultimately number one charting song of the year. Um, I'm not sure that we were sonically up for this album at this moment in 2001, even though her tone throughout it is incredible. Like just listen to Lead the Way, which is an amazing ballad. Um, and maybe we could have been up for it if a couple other factors weren't in play, but they absolutely were in play and therefore we weren't up for it. Um, one of those factors is 9-11, which we will talk about soon, but not yet. But don't worry, we'll get there. Okay, let's do a drive-by of the movie Glitter. Hannah, were you aware that Glitter existed at the time as a movie? Yes, I was. And that's all I can say that I knew. That's it. Okay. So this album was created as a soundtrack to this film, Glitter, which was a concept that Mariah Carey started working on in 1997, a very different time. And it's basically about, they say it's a biopic, but she's like, it's not autobiographical or anything. She's, it's basically about a singer in the 80s who has a difficult childhood and then has this journey into superstardom via the New York club scene in the 80s. And she has said, and I 
think I can see like the vision that she had got lost along the way as more people got involved. The director and production was bad. And all of that played a part in why Loverboy was a bop, but the rest of the soundtrack basically flopped. This like heavy association with this movie that I think is entertaining, but it's not like, it's not, it's not great. <laughs> uh, the film has a 6% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which who cares, but you know, it's actually starting to become a cult classic, which I love. And I think that's because the culture and the context has very much changed. Glitter was released against a very specific and bad backdrop and the twin towers appear in the movie. And when I say backdrop, I'm also talking about something that uh, a lot of people raised in the Facebook group and on discord, which is the movie poster of glitter panning up and the twin towers are collapsing right behind it. Okay. We're still not there yet. We're, we're not, <laughs> we're not there yet. We're still in the summer of 2001. Um, so let's talk about Mariah Carey's public image in the summer of 2001. In our last episode, episode 37, which was about quote unquote feuds, we talked about a longstanding conflict between Mariah Carey and Jennifer Lopez that began at this time. The gist was that Mariah had gone through a terrible divorce from music producer and terrible man, Tommy Matola. He set in motion a plan for JLo's team to steal the sample and rapper from Loverboy shortly before its release for I'm Real. And Mariah had to scramble to pick up the pieces. You can learn more about those specifics in that episode. But the point is, it was a rough time. And then on July 19th, 2001, she made an appearance on TRL, which I remember watching live. Um, and then for years after that. Um, so we're going to talk about this because Hannah, I think you just watched it for the first time, but let me give like a brief rundown, quote unquote brief. Um, okay. So Mariah Carey had this great longstanding relationship with MTV. Um, and so her surprise appearance, quote unquote, was not a weird thing to do. I remember watching a, like two months before a be Mariah's lover boy campaign to auction off the car from the music video happening on TRL. Like it's on YouTube. It's very pixelated. You can watch it. They let her come on TRL as a surprise guest. She interrupts the music video countdown by singing lover boy off screen as I'm real is ending. Like they just played the music video and she comes out with an ice cream bin for the audience. And she says, I'm just regular with the ice cream truck. And she presents VJ at the time, Carson Daly, with an airbrushed Loverboy shirt. And Carson makes it seem like she crashed, crashed the show, like she somehow like made it past security into this skyscraper on Times Square because she's Mariah Carey and like no one knew she was coming and he has to cut to a commercial break and like, what's he going to do now? And he's like, why are you here? And he really plays up this idea that she's crazy. He's like, what the hell's that? And it's like a bin of ice cream in the middle of the summer. We're like, what are you doing here? And she kind of keeps it light, but she does say some things that are 
she says some things that are a little concerning. Like she not out of this world, but she gestures to the fact that she'd really like one day off. Her mom is concerned about her and the discourse around it decides that like all of this is funny. Carson is like surprised to see her and she's lost her mind essentially. Um, In her 2020 memoir, she recalls, maybe Carson Daly didn't know I was coming, but producers had to schedule my appearance. Coordinators, publicists, whole ass teams of people knew I was coming. She also said I was like a stand-up comic who bombed a set. All performers bomb, but my bombing set off a chain reaction that placed a target on my back. I feel like... What did you think? (laughs) Well, it was hard to watch. I don't think she appeared to be the healthiest person in the world, but something about hearing, you know, in her 2020 memoir saying like Carson Daly probably knew. And the fact that he didn't know I was coming was like part of what made the general narrative that I'm, that something was wrong with me. I think it's a great reminder. I can definitely see that probably what Carson Daly was trying to do was to kind of play up the bigness of the moment for the audience and did like a kind of in the moment calculation where she had to lose, but he didn't, he wasn't thinking this through, but if he thought about it through more, he would know that like, if you set someone up to who's already potentially a little precarious, who has any sort of marginalized identity in the entire world, like they are going to come out looking worse. If you are the one that's kind of painting them, painting a picture of like, um, whatever, any sort of like surprise or any sort of like erraticness, they're not going to win. And I could see that maybe he knew, but was kind of just trying to be like, whoa, look look at this huge thing that's happening right now. Like, I didn't even know you're seeing this in real time. And it clearly made an impact on baby Mimi. Like in some ways he did his job actually well um, to make it seem like a really big deal. But it seems like he, he had just that little bit of like derision in his voice when he was doing it, where he was kind of like, Mariah, we have to cut to a break. Like they're telling me to cut to a break as if she's like getting in the way of his, of him doing his job, which of course later she's, what she's trying to say is like, no, your job. I was helping you do your job. Like I'm the content yeah. man. So I could, yeah, this was, it was a little tough to watch. It was a little like uh, cringy. Yeah. And it used to be, I and some friends of mine used to find it very funny and there are some fun quotes in it still. Um, but it is, I mean, it is, and, and it's, it really is a product of its time because it was kind of like, it was very, what he did was very status quo, actually, like the way that he, you know, it was a push in the line of dominoes towards her kind of, uh, descent, which was already starting to happen at the time. Um, okay. So over the following week, things really fall apart. She, um, she's at press events for glitter and which is supposed to come out the following month. This is July right now, July, 2001. She's going off topic. She's posting on her website, pre-social media. She says, I'm trying to understand things in life right now. And so I really don't feel like I should be doing music right now. What I'd like to do is just take a little break or at least get one night of sleep without someone popping up about a video. All I really want is to just be me. And that's what I should have done in the first place. 
I don't say this much, but guess what? I don't take care of myself. She was definitely exhausted. Her team was not helping. Um, and you know, this and other notes she posted were quickly removed. And then on July 26th, she was hospitalized due to what they said was extreme exhaustion and a lot of outlets reported physical and emotional breakdown. There are more details about this that we don't need to get into, but it was bad and the media made it worse by sharing very personal details. They were gleefully kind of exaggerating a play-by-play and all of that in retrospect, she has said she was incredibly stressed and exhausted. Um, And that's kind of an admission again at the time that would be completely unacceptable to most mainstream media and audiences especially when coming from a black woman. So Glitter's release dates, soundtrack, film, were both delayed after her hospitalization and all the negative publicity that surrounded that. And people were villainizing her for what really comes down to being exhausted, not being in a healthy place, but ultimately being exhausted um, and grappling with, with that mentally. Virgin Media affirmed its support or whatever her label at the time after Sony and the release dates for Glitter were pushed back three weeks. Guess what that means? The film was postponed from August 31st to September 21st and the soundtrack from August 21st, its original release date to yes, 9-11. Okay. So I think that Hannah, you said this is like the quintessential flop. And I think, I think we're arriving at one of the main reasons why. Um, there are very few times when you can blame a pop music or movie flop or TV show, whatever it is, directly on 9-11. But we've got something here. We really have. Um, I talked about the image of Glitter, the poster in front of the collapsing Twin Towers. No one cared about Glitter anymore, if they ever did. Um, when 9-11 happens on the same day. I actually think I couldn't find the video, but apparently she was on a talk show promoting glitter when they got news of the Twin Towers. So no one cared that day. No one really cared after about glitter as at least like an actual artistic moment intervention. Virgin Media quickly dropped her in early 2002 and Mariah later said of the Glitter soundtrack and her experience, I released it on September 11th, 2001. The talk shows needed something to distract from 9-11. I became a punching bag. I was so successful that they tore me down because my album was at number two instead of number one. The media was laughing at me and attacked me. Do you have any thoughts about that before I go on? I think that's so that's very similar to what we've been talking about this whole episode that when you're at a really high height and you fall even a little bit, it makes this huge deal and it acts like it. Yeah, it's totally fine to be number two. And then, of course, you add to it all of those other things you were mentioning about her being exhausted. And, you know, it's like clearly this was not the this was a little this was a messy rollout for like a messy situation. Uh, this is just, yeah, it's really tough and it's a really good, this whole episode for me at least is is really helping me kind of like 
heal my relationship to the concept of a flop and just like, how bad is it actually? Or, or were, were we all just ready to see this person fail the minute, like she was, you know, having a little bit of trouble. Right. I think, um, I think like I often say with people who have either a meteoric rise in any of the, these industries, um, or have this like level of kind of unprecedented or sustained success that like once something starts to happen, once the momentum changes a little bit, people really, a lot of the public, certainly a lot of the media really like hold on to that and like will it into existence instead of mitigating it. And then you have nine 11. So I do think that after 9-11, just culturally, um, I mean, I know after 9-11 that (laughs) some things really pivoted sharply and others doubled down. Um, And all of that contributed to Glitter's poor reviews and this particular like quote unquote flop era. And what I mean is like, I think 2001 would have been just the right time to embrace fun 80s nostalgia, just like 2011, 2012 is when we got all of the BuzzFeed quizzes about like being a nineties kid and like nineties nostalgia, all of that. But nine 11 made everything very tense in a ways that left so, so little room for any eras or energies that were not strictly or like subtextually patriotic. This is the cultural void. This is where you have people on, um, Disney channel. I think we talked about, yeah. Saying things like, who would never say anything before this saying like the flag means everything to me. Like that was Beverly Mitchell, right? (laughs) I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Everything, Beverly, everything. Right. Um, Right. And I'm not sure I've ever agreed with anything Beverly Mitchell said, like in life or on the show seventh heaven, which is unsurprising to anyone. But um, there was a lot, like there was a lot of energy of that, reading po- Shia LaBeouf, who is also bad, reading poems, but also people who are not bad, like Hilary Duff being like, unity. But not asking, unity for whom and against whom, you know? Because one thing that's very patriotic, aka like a U.S. tradition, is white supremacy, and another is the pop cultural phenomenon of building women up to tear them down, as Hannah mentioned earlier with Gaga and others as part of this larger trend. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like what Mariah said, I think, where it's people needed an escape to take out fear and anger on something less quote unquote serious, not unlike bullying. And so whatever the case, you know, like us media and consumers double down on that in a post nine 11 world, I think starting immediately with Mariah carrying glitter, um, as everyone had kind of decided, like, that's how the tables were turning in 2001. And it was her time to unravel. And they were excited kind of to see it happen. They made up their minds. Um, and the momentum was kind of too much to shift the other way, especially after 9-11. And we see this continue with all of these other um, people who are torn down. Like, the 2000s was, like, probably the worst time in recent memory, the early to mid two thousands to be an extremely famous woman, young woman. So 
like news of her music and movie flop. They're inextricable from her quote unquote breakdown on magazines, talk shows, radio, everywhere. And I think it does sound like Tommy Mottola, who was pretty powerful, had a hand in this as well. But there were a lot of willing participants. Um, And this whole experience was so bad that for years after glitter was called the G word in Mariah's presence. So fortunately, she back she bounced back pretty quickly by 2003, 2004. So she released some other major, major albums. And now Glitter is getting its due. Our culture is still far from perfect. And the long shadow of 9-11 still looms large. But music catalogs are generally more readily available, as, as we talked about earlier. And our language and tone and allegiances have changed in many ways for the better. Some maybe for the worse. But... um I don't know. I just like to sort of close this out by comparing some music critics reviews from 2001 to those from the past few years. Do you want to read the first one? Sure. So for 2001, let's continue with, with um, Stephen Thomas Erlewines. Would you say that's how to say his name? Yeah. Sure. Uh, he doesn't and, deserve to have his name said correctly. Right? Like, if yeah. it's wrong, sorry. Um, this is the Chernobyl guy. So this is his colorful pop equivalent of Chernobyl review. Glitter is a catastrophe. It captures Mariah on a downturn of creativity and popularity just when she needs to shine the brightest. And then it was paired with an extremely public emotional breakdown highlighted by a bizarre appearance on TRL. She sinks into gormless ballads, covers of, er- covers of early 80s funk tunes that sound exactly like the originals, hip-hop funk that plays plastic and stiff. Ouch. Ouch. This was one of the most uh, mean, like unnecessarily and colorful ones, which you get a, which you get a lot back then. Um, Pre-Perez Hilton sort of moment okay so at the time also craig seymour of rn being called it an unimpressive set her new forays into 80s music aren't nearly as sharp or as eclectic as her earlier ventures and he calls lover boy derivative and undercooked um and says that she now feels the need to cram as many rappers as she can on any given track he is going to eat his words though isn't he Okay, so not, I want to say, like, I debated not putting any of these bad reviews in here, but I think it's it's good to know, like, what she was up against, kind of. Um, and, like, who cares about some music critics? But, you know, when when you don't have social media and, like, this is what you get, we, we have to keep that in mind when we're talking about flops from this moment. Um, not every review of Glitter in 2001 was bad. But there were way too many like these ones, and they just show this like very real lack of respect and foresight also. Okay, so let's get into the late 2010s and today. D. Lockett of Vulture maintained that the film was a historic flop, lol, but the soundtrack was undeniably ahead of its time, even despite it being an homage to disco And then, from a September 2021 Billboard article, Glitter was heavily criticized at the time for overloading its 10 tracks with guest rappers. Yet look at any given top 10 
from the last decade. And you could argue Carrie was simply foreshadowing a time when every other hit has a featuring versus or X credit. So then in the fall of 2018, Glitter startlingly reached top 10 on iTunes after Mariah tweeted hashtag justice for glitter and people decided to rally and revisited it. So music critic Mike Wass called its original flop one of the biggest pop music injustices of the 21st century. P.S. Guess what it replaced in this moment in 2018? (laughs) Imagine Dragons brand new album. I had to throw that in there. I didn't know that. This was also a sign that Mariah was ready to re-embrace glitter. She was ready to re-embrace glitter because she dethroned Imagine Dragons, which is a hard thing to do in 2018. It is a hard thing to do, but it's a necessary thing to do. It's necessary. This is part of what we can do when Becky's not here because we learned (laughs) recently that Becky likes Imagine Dragons, which we didn't know. And so now we can make fun of it when she's not here. Yay! Um... Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is a nice story after distancing herself in 2001 from glitter. So it's like, do we call it a flop? I don't think so. I think we need to acknowledge that it was seen that way because we learn things when we do that, but we shouldn't be like, it is still a flop. So I just like to leave everyone with a, Again, September 2021, you know, this is 20-year anniversary of Glitter, 20-year anniversary of 9-11. We got a lot of content recently. A quote and Mike from Trey Green, because I think that it is beautifully written, and I think it sums up most of the salient points we've talked about here today. Here I go. The rhetoric surrounding glitter reflects the broader lack of respect and concern for the emotional and physical safety of Black women that continues to be an issue decades after its release. Mental health topics are more regularly addressed and discussed these days, but there remains a gross discrepancy around Black women's need for mental health resources, detailed studies, and other means of information. And since glitter was in an era before social media where celebrities could speak for themselves outside of statements from publicists, Carrie's story was at the mercy of a spiraling media machine more concerned with tracking the demise of a diva than providing space for her to share her truth. He goes on to say, the ebullience of glitter was dimmed by a ravenous means to diminish the joy of the project and revel in the perceived leveling of Carrie's illustrious career. But after 20 years, the project is beginning to get the credit it deserves. The film is being elevated to a cult classic And the soundtrack has been recognized as a forward-thinking project that was an early adopter of the feature-heavy formula that is is now the norm among artists across genres. The glitter era is now a beloved symbol of the tenacity, resilience, and innovativeness Carrie has shown throughout her legendary career. I honestly never knew glitter was that deep until recently, but it absolutely is. So, you know, I think we can kind of close this out by saying that sometimes a flop is a red herring for a dismal and incapable culture. And that's what this is. And uh, to some extent, that's what art pop is too. And to some extent, that's not what some other flops are. Some of them absolutely deserve it. And I think those are also fun to talk about because it's like the artist making a really just uncalled for misstep, I guess. 
So I think we should talk about some more flops another time. Let us know if you would like us to do that. Um, yeah, especially like flops in, the, in these different categories, like flops that actually weren't flops and we need to go revisit them versus flops that totally did flop and they deserved it. Or there's, there's a whole flop uh, taxonomy here that we're learning <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, we are cultivating a pedagogical framework for a paradigm really yeah for flaps and um yeah i i think we i think we'll talk about some more pretty soon so part two stay tuned can't wait um really we have to thank uh mariah carey and lady gaga for this episode um that's our show but of course, it's not the end of this conversation, especially if you're a fan of one or both of these albums. We cannot wait to hear what you think on our Facebook group or now on our Discord if you're trying to distance yourself from Mark Zuckerberg's um, tentacles. If you have a second and you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to find an easy way to support us, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or on your podcast app of choice. We really appreciate when you do that. And we can't wait to see you in your... She looks so gritty like a devil t-shirts. You're going to look so attractive. Everyone's going to want to hit on you and just be your best friend. All those things. We can all match. We can all match more importantly. Thanks everyone. Bye. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the B-Sides podcast. We want to connect with you. Check out the show notes to find our Instagram, Twitter, and join our Facebook group where you can link up with us and other progressives who love pop. Please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already, and consider supporting the B-Sides on Patreon. Until the next time we cut to the feeling, I'm Mimi. I'm Becky. I'm Hannah. 